Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 238. Top 10 games we love, but will never play again. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, we are talking about a very controversial issue this week, something that happens more times than we like to talk about. We go to our game nights, the games are placed out on the table, and people know that we love these games, and yet, my friend, there are times we do not want to play these games. Yeah, yeah, it happens a lot, especially because we have a podcast, and people know that we like certain games because we talk about them, and they're like, ooh, you like this game, you want to play it? And it's like, nah, not really. <laughs> What about next time? Nah, not really. <laughs> I've actually been outed several times at board game nights where they're like, oh, we're going to play this. And they, they go off to play. I'm like, well, I want I want to play a game like, oh, no, 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 you don't like this game. And I'm like, but how how do you know I don't like this game? I haven't even told you like, nah, you, you said on the podcast, you don't like this game. We're going to go play this game. So you should just go play something when you find somebody to play a game with. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> What you get for not liking things, man. I tell you, you gotta, you gotta, you say one little thing like burn the game, and then next thing you know, nobody wants to play with you. Yeah, it happens. What are you gonna do? I mean, it's funny too because like I like a lot of games. We've been doing this for six years. We've reviewed hundreds and hundreds of games, and yet I, I almost certainly don't own most of the games that I gave player buy reviews to because there's only so much space on my shelves. Like I'm looking at a giant pile in my room right now of things that I'm like, I like all of these. I'm going to sell them now because I don't 
I don't like them as much as these other ones. I'm not going to play these anymore. And some of them I haven't played in years. So it's a, a thing we all struggle with. But I think these ones in particular we'll talk about today are like very specifically. No, I'm never playing this again. <laughs> so. so that will be our feature review. We will talk about our top 10 games we love. But we'll never play again. But Anthony, that's not all that's going on with us. There are a lot of game playing that's going on, especially with our Patreon account. So what's the game this week? Yeah, so the Patreon this week, we asked people to let us know uh, or share with us, I suppose, some photographs of specifically components, components in action. So action shots, beautiful shots. There's a lot of games that are very pretty out there. And so we got several different entries. Uh, the winner, however, is going to be Adrian. Congratulations for a slew of polar bears from Rescue Polar Bears. And it it was just very cute. So we'll post that up on our Facebook page, and you'll be able to see the photo that won. Uh, and uh, thank you to everybody else who entered, of course. It's fantastic. Um, we do this every week. Chance to win a board game. We're going to keep on doing it. And yeah, we post these on Thursdays. And just take a look at the Patreon and, and see what you need to do to enter. So if you'd like to join us, and we really would like to have you join us on patreon.com slash BGA so that we can get more episodes out to you, whether it's Board Gamers Anonymous, Every Night's Game Night, our Patreon special episodes, our Slack channel, all the content material we have there, and some new and interesting updates that are coming to our Patreon account. Or, at the very least, if you'd like to stalk us properly and find out what we love and don't love so much, you definitely want to back our Patreon account. But nonetheless, you can show us a lot of love in other ways too. Please share the podcast with other people. Let them know about all the great gaming that's going on with Board Gamers Anonymous. Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. There's content there. Our guild on Board Game Geek. Our YouTube channel. And obviously, every podcast player where you can find us. Hit us up with some stars. Hit us with some emails. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with us at BGA. What's going on with our listeners? What's our question of the week? Yeah, so we did an episode about a month ago, episode 234, in which we talked about our top 10 older games played in 2019 thus far. Uh, so like things like Indonesia and Battle of Five Armies and Dungeon Lords, like stuff we'd played that was kind of old that we really liked. So I asked everybody, same question. What are the best games you've played this year? that are old, but new to you. And we got a ton of answers. So, so just going to list off a few of these, some of the good ones. Michael said, since my son is joining the Navy to be a submariner, I decided it would be a good time to learn to play cribbage. And yes, there is a connection. I don't know exactly what the connection is, other than that it's a game with pegs and things. So maybe the, you can just keep all the pieces connected to the board <laughs> while you're mm -hmm. um, underwater. But yeah, that's fantastic. It's a, it's a good family connection there. Uh, Willie mentions Winner's Circle. With the local racetrack season, he was challenged that he did not have a race horse racing game. So he found a newer version of the game for sale and picked it up. Uh, fantastic racing game, and everyone loved it. So those are always the best. Like if you find a game because it's related somehow thematically or locally to like what you're doing, you know, where you are, who your family is, all that stuff. That's really cool. Eric mentioned Race for the Galaxy. He played that for the first time, which is crazy to me, but that's awesome. Uh, also Fields of Arl. A uh, great worker placement game with many different paths to victory. It is a relaxing open sandbox game that has great presence. I 1000% agree. I love this game. It just, it's one of the few board games that are just like soothing, you know, just soothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rodney 
chimed in with one of your favorites, Chris, yeah. Rivet Wars, a fun mm-hmm. two-player game with great minis. Our buddy David, he's continuing to tout the wonders of Star Wars Queen's Gambit uh, that nobody can play. And, and Nippon, which I do like, but I actually sold my copy recently to a friend. So I replayed it this year to see if I still liked it and it just didn't quite hold up. But <laughs> I understand why you like it, Dave. And uh, let's see, a few others here. Lorenzo Il Magnifico, Grand Austria Hotel. Discovery is the journals of Lewis and Clark. Chris discovered this and thought it was excellent. Thank you, Chris. It is excellent. Eh. Everybody should play that game. I agree. <laughs> it's good. Y'all should play it. It's real good. Don't listen to Chris. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, it's a lot of good stuff. I, like Gankopolis is on here. Oddville. Uh, Kemet, Glory to Rome. Condottier, which just came back in reprint. It's fun. It's fun to go back and find old stuff and not just get caught up in the cult of the new all the time. So... That's why we did that episode, and thank you, everybody, for writing in and let us know what you've been playing. Yeah, that's great. I mean, old classic games that have stood the test of time definitely deserve table time, and I know I got to play La Havre, which was something that was a big hole in my collection for a very long time, and really enjoyed it. A lot of those Uwe Rosenberg games, the big heavy ones, the ones that are just kind of on the outside, because, you know, games like Feast for Odin kind of sucks up all the oxygen, so to speak. And yeah, so uh, if you can get those old classic games to the table, you should absolutely should, because those games have a lot of great play in them. They are not antiques like sometimes video games tend to be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like in our list last month, I talked about Indonesia. But since then, I've also played Great Zimbabwe, which, oh my gosh, I've owned this game for a year. I never played it. And it was fantastic. So it's really got me thinking about like the older games I haven't gotten to the table and why I should do that because I'm frequently finding like some of my top 100 games are things that came out years ago and I just never got around to. Yeah, there's a lot of great play to be found in those games and a lot of mechanics to kind of rediscover. All right, Anthony, so that's everything that's going on with our listeners and what's going on with PGA. Let's get into the episode and let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. Yeah, so I... Of course, the new Azul was announced this last week. Kind of a surprise. Hey, it's coming to Essen kind of thing. And it's called Summer Pavilion. And it has a new shaped tile. Hey? Huh? huh? Maybe? Yeah. <laughs> um, It's funny. Like, normally when a game starts doing these iterative releases, I get a little cynical about it. But Azul was really good. I liked it. It still hits the table. It's a good family game. Glass of Sintra was yes. even better. Really liked that game quite a bit. So I'm excited to see what Kiesling does with Summer Pavilion, because often when you take a basic game and make it more complicated, it doesn't sell very well. Sure. Or people don't like it. But clearly, like Sintra must have done well, or they wouldn't be doing another one. I gotta right? believe it's done really so, well. It's, it's actually, and this is a lot, this is a pretty high bar, but I like it better than Azul. At least the uh, first Azul. Yeah, me too. Like, I own both because I like Sintra better and prefer, prefer to play that. But I know the base game is better in certain situations. So I have both games. So I'm excited for this new one because it uses, you know, similar ideas of Azul. You've got your circle of pieces and you're taking them and you're trying to build your little, you know, glass things or whatever you're doing. Um, so it's uh, you basically you're moving to the point where like you've already completed the palaces of Avora and of Sintra. And now you're building a summer, summer pavilion for the royal family. But the... King dies before construction is completed, and now you have to use the best materials you can to build the pavilion without wasting anything. So it does tweak things a little bit. You have six rounds like usual. You're going to draft tiles like usual, place them on your individual boards, score points like usual. They've got the six colors. 
and every round one of those is wild so it kind of just has that little bit of randomness mixed in there but it has a little bit of different mechanics going on in terms of like how these tiles come out how they're shaped you're building like these flower shapes instead of you know the grids that you were building in the past you're trying to surround like pillars and statues and windows on your board with tiles you get different bonuses based on what you surround and how you surround it so it seems to be familiar but different in a way similar to what Sintra was. And I'm excited for that because I, I feel like that one really worked in a way I wasn't expecting. So I'm going to definitely check this one out because I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt right now in terms of releasing iterations on this design. And if it's solid, I'm 100% going to pick it up because so far so good on these designs. I don't disagree with you, but I feel like for me it might be a game too far just because it looks a little more bland than the last game. And as you said, we already have two copies of very similar games. I don't think I'm going to purchase the third. Now, if I get a chance to play it and it just blows me away, sure. Why not? But I think at this point, I think I have as many reiterations as I'm really going to take as far as an abstract kind of top playing game. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and I'm, I very easily could play this and decide the same thing because sure. I was very cynical about the last one and then it, it won me over. So I'll, I will certainly play this before I pick it up, but I'm definitely interested to play it. Well, speaking about games that maybe have reiterated one too far, Kickstarter has a new little game there. It's Mint Cooperative, the Minty Fresh Cooperative game. Mint Co-op puts you and your fellow superheroes to work delivering the citizens of Mintopia from the threat of periodontal peril. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So if you don't know anything about the Mint games, they are in fact little tiny games. And I mean it. They're little tiny games. They're not epic mini games, which are not really a mini game. They are games that fit in a little mint container. And in fact, all of the games, and there are three in total, including this new one that came out, have little white tokens and colored tokens and meeples, so to speak, and a number of cards. And basically, this version, the third in its Mint series, is a co-op game using superheroes. Now, I don't tend to be a fan of co-op games unless they're fantastic and then they're my favorite game of all time. I still have not figured out why that's a thing, but nonetheless, it is. But I really did enjoy Mintworks, which was a tiny little worker placement game. Mint Delivery didn't really do it for me because it was a little too random based on who was going to win and how things were going to pop up. But really did enjoy Mintworks, which was only $10. Mint Delivery is only $10. And in fact, I know this is going to be a surprise to you all out there. But $10 for the co-op version of the game. Now, obviously, with this expansion, you can pick up all three of those. And it's just a nice little game that actually does have a little price for once, little game that you can fit in your pocket. Yeah, I mean, if it's more like Mintworks and less like Mint Delivery, I'm on board. I like Mintworks a lot. Mint Delivery was, I don't know, man, it just really wasn't a very good game. But no. That, that first game was so clever and so small and so accessible. I'm, I'm willing to give them another shot. Yeah, for $10, I, I feel like it's worth the shot. But, you know, for anything else, it might be, a, you know, 
a bridge too far, but here I think it kind of works. And especially since it is so cheap and the shipping obviously is very cheap as well. And that sometimes can be a big issue with these Kickstarters where it's like super, super expensive. But for $5, not bad on the shipping either. All right, Anthony, so that's everything from our acquisition disorders. Everyone's wondering what games hit our table this week. So let's talk about that. And we will let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and you should sit down and play them. If those games are dodge, you should avoid them at all costs. Or if those games are the dreaded burn. And no matter how much someone might like them, you should run out of that room because they are not worth your time. So what do you have for us this week, Anthony? All right. I have a game that I picked up at Gen Con and got a chance to play actually a few weeks back, but again, very recently called Ishtar Gardens of Babylon. This was released by Yellow and designers Bruno Cathala and Evan Singh. So coming from a good pedigree here, uh, the game right out of the box, very, very pretty, like beautiful cover, got this flower floating up. Uh, the game involves gardeners. You are one of the gardeners in the deserts around Babylon, uh, helping to regrow or build the lost hanging gardens, right? So what you'll be doing in the game is you'll have your gardener and you'll have multiple of them that you can use, but usually you probably just have one, maybe two that you put out. And then there'll be a rondelle with different tiles on it. And you will, on your turn, move the rondelle um, one space forward or a multiple additional spaces forward if you want to spend resources to do so. And you will take the tile that's there. And that tile will have a number of hexes on it uh, some of them just plain, some of them with flowers on them. Some of the flowers have more icons on them than others, and those are going to be points towards the end. You then place that somewhere on the modular board in the center of the table, and you can then take the action that's printed on the tile. Some of the tiles have no actions. Some of them let you place one of your gardeners out there, and some of them let you purchase an upgrade from your personal board, which you would do with like gems that you pick up. When you put the tile down, if it covers up any gems, because when you build the board at the beginning of the game, you're going to populate it with a bunch of little gems, you will take those for yourself, which can be used to do several different things. The first of which is to purchase upgraded abilities and endgame scoring conditions from your personal board. The second of which is to buy tree cards, which are just worth points at the end of the game. And the goal here is to build the largest gardens, which is like consecutive spaces of flowered placements with your gardener in them. And the reason this is difficult sometimes is because once a gardener is in a space and that's connected, you know, all the flowers are connected to each other, then nobody else can go into that space. You can't connect another tile to it. You can't do anything if it would create, you know, an addition to the garden with another gardener, one gardener, one garden, right? Even your own colored gardeners can't be in the same garden. So it's very important to kind of think out how you want to connect these different things. And there's different towers that are going to be out on the board. And if you're adjacent to those with one of your gardens and someone else is adjacent and your garden's bigger, you're going to get extra points at the end of the game. So it's a little bit of area control. It's a little bit of like pushing people out of the space. It's also a bit of set collection. There's also some player powers in here. And it, it's actually fairly simple. Like there's not a lot of overhead to the game. Like I can teach this in five or 10 minutes. Everything's printed on your player board on your turn. You're really just doing those three things. Everything's visible in, in the, uh, the rondelle there in the middle. So you know what's available and when it's available. 
it's accessible and fun and quick takes about 45 minutes to play at the most and it plays really well with like two or three players like most games that say two to four you expect it to be better at the high end but two is perfectly strong for this one which is awesome and uh, yeah i had a lot of fun with it it is definitely on the lighter end i think the weight on bgg is like a two six which might be a little high for what it is it's probably closer to a two it's definitely a light medium game but i think for a light medium game it's a very good one and uh like any big box game with lots of pretty components and like these crazy intricate trees that it comes with meeples uh it's kind of expensive i think it's 50 bucks possibly in that ballpark so it's a little much for like that light of a game but production quality that comes out of it the replayability the number of different options and like how the game flows i think it could be worth it if you really like this kind of game so I'm going to give it a really, really strong play and say, you know, if this is good for you, pick it up. It's really solid. If you like anything in this kind of general realm, it's a solid game. And like thematically, it's something different, right? You're a gardener. You're building a garden. It's it's in the desert. So it's evocative in different ways. It's not just plants. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think it's worth checking out. And uh, that's Ishtar, Gardens of Babylon. Yeah, this was an interesting one. You said the... And it's true. The artwork is really phenomenal here. And the box cover really doesn't give you a good sense of what you're putting together. And as you mentioned, you are doing a very different thematic role here. You know, your role as a gardener aiming to transform the dry desert into the lost hanging gardens of Babylon. I'm like, wow, that's really, really impressive. And then you look at the game, you're like, ah, somewhat abstracted as far as everything having to do with gardening, so to speak, but the production obviously brings it to a new level where it does feel like you're doing something a little bit bigger, a little more profound than you would otherwise at this, this type of level. Uh, who would you recommend this game for though? That's really the question I have about this because looking at the games, like you said, very ornate, very expensive and then the game the gameplay or the game weight's kind of right in the middle so who would you bring this for for game night i don't know i don't think it's for like you okay. and me i think it's for like you see a lot of these medium weight games come out now and they hit that middle price point and it's for people who've been playing you know lighter stuff like king of tokyo or ticket to ride and they're looking for something that's in that vein but maybe a little different a little more complicated uh-huh. It's not like a gateway next step game, but it's a middleweight game for sure. Like it's not for heavier gamers. But that said, like as a heavier gamer Mm -hmm. myself, having it in my collection, I'm happy to have it because I can bring it with me. And frequently at game night, like people will come who don't play the heavy games or have trouble like just wrapping their heads around them. Or maybe people only have an hour, right? There's only so many games that have interesting decisions to be made in 45 minutes and this is one and i I like that they're not the heaviest and most complicated decisions in the world but they're there and they're puzzly and it's interesting so i think there's a place for this with casual gamers as well as heavier gamers who have like a more diverse group like anytime you see a price point above 50 dollars, you're like well i don't know but it is yellow so this game should be in the 30 to 40 Mm -hmm. range online which i think is reasonable okay well, I got a game to the table that I know, Anthony, you got to the table previously, and I got to the table specifically 
because I wanted to know if I wanted to back the Kickstarter that's up currently, and that game is Gugan. And it's, I guess, soon to be, or currently, depending on when you're listening to this, their Kickstarter is now up, Gugan Panjon Deluxe Expansion, which expands upon the base Gugan game, or in my acquisition disorder last year, the Forbidden Island game that had its name kind of swapped out and upgraded, so to speak. Now, in Gugan, uh, what we're doing here is we are in China around the 1571, and we are officials in the city, and we are trying to vie for the emperor's favor and trying to gain power, but we are very wary of the corruption that's been going on, and corruption as a you know government official we've been participating in, but we found a very sneaky way around that, so to speak. So instead of just outright bribes, we are exchanging gifts. So the main mechanic here is you're going to have a small deck of cards and you will look at the board and it's a worker placement game and you will make a decision based upon the gifts that you have available in front of you where you're going to swap a gift out. Now, if your gift is at a higher number than the one you're placing, everything's fine. You take the lower gift, you put it away and the higher gift is now activated on that board so you can use that board action. And of course, if you have an action on that card, you'll be able to take that first and you'll get abilities and resources and awards and victory points. That's the main mechanism of the game. It's a very dynamic. It's a very interesting mechanism. Swapping those cards out is a lot of fun. Trying to gauge if you want to play something lower, but having to give up your people in order to do so or having to give up other cards is a really hard situation because when you do so, you are going to give up resources and you're going to give up actions in the game. So basically, the board's pretty straightforward. The top of the board has a movement feature where you'll take up your rider and you'll pick up tokens that are going to give you special benefits. There is the Great Wall of China that you'll be building up. And if you have the majority, you'll gain some additional benefits. The Jade Market will give you Jade for victory points. There is an influence market on the bottom left. Uh, you are climbing up to the palace in the middle. On the right, there's technology. And on the bottom, there is a river section, which will give you a lot of different awards, as long as you have three people on the ship and you're able to take it at the appropriate time. Now, the game itself is fine. I will say, though, and it's really surprising for me to say this, but the base addition to this game just honestly doesn't work for me. The chits and how they kind of overly abstracted a lot of the pieces really lets the game down. The deluxe edition really should be the definitive edition, not just because the cardboard is thicker, the chits are better, and the meeples are better, and the little glass beads are better. It just feels like a real game. The base edition really doesn't do much for the game whatsoever. And since the game is rather simple, and the action spaces are rather basic, I really do feel like the Deluxe Edition does a lot to bring this game up to make you feel like you're actually doing something. Because most of those action spots aren't that dynamic. Now, if you want to clue in, and we're talking about the expansion that's currently up on Kickstarter, it's going to add some additional modules. And I think this game really needs the additional modules. So there's going to be a, a module for the Summer Palace, which is another worker placement spot that you'll be able to jump into. There'll be a module two, which is the peasants revolt. 
And those are going to be the two main modules that are going to be added to the bottom of the board. Once again, these are more worker placement actions in which you'll be able to add or subtract points. And we'll add some additional cards and effects to the game. In addition to that, there's a module three, which changes up the stairs of the palace. There's extra decree and gift cards that you'll be able to use throughout the game. And then once again, it'll have the same high level of production and the game trays that come along with the game, which are fantastic. So again, it's a great production if you go with the deluxe model. Now, the deluxe model is going to cost you quite a bit, uh, especially if you're looking to kind of go all out with this game. Now, for the base game of Gugan, I think it's just okay. It's going to get the lightest play for me. I felt that the spots were generic and really didn't have too much to it, but the game itself was attractive enough. The game was fast enough. The card swapping mechanic was something of interest, and I enjoyed doing that. But at no point did I feel like any of the action spaces in particular was engaging or dynamic or concerning if I would lose out on a particular spot. This expansion may bump the game up to a solid play for me, just because it does need more. Hopefully this expansion will bring more to the game because I think this game deserves just a little bit more to make it a fully rounded out game. But as it stands, it's just, just the basic, basic play. I think I liked it a little bit more when it first came out, but not a ton more. The funny thing is I keep playing it. I, I, I don't know what it is. I think it's that core mechanic and it just like resonates with people, but it's, uh, it's hit the table a lot. and. I just talked about Ishtar and like medium weight games. And this is another one that just kind of sits in that spot and works mm -hmm. well for me. That said, I'm very excited for the expansion because I feel like there are parts of that game that need updates. Like the Jade Market's no good. Nobody uses it at all. They just ignore it. Palace Steps, not great. It's just like a boring, mandatory thing you have to do throughout the game. So it'll be cool to see what those do. Hopefully it really like revitalizes it a bit, but I, I understand why it's like, I think when I first mentioned it, it was a play for me too. And I've held on to it. I kept it actually. It's surviving the purge that I'm currently going through because it does get played a bit. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. So that's everything that's hitting our table. Anthony, let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about the top 10 games we love, but we'll never play again. That's right. You heard it. Never, ever, ever played again. So if you happen to play with Anthony and I at game night and this game comes out, know that unfortunately we must bid adieu and walk away because we cannot play these games for the reasons of which we will speak. So Anthony, you have five games that you have loved throughout time and no longer do it for you. So why don't you give us one of those games? Yeah, I mean, it's a funny thing. There are so many games that you play once and you're like, this is incredible. And then the next time someone puts it in front of you, you're like, no, thank you. <laughs> and I feel like there's a lot of reasons for it. And I tried to find like a different reason for each of the five I'm going to talk about. So the first of them is Endeavor. For me, the reason I... I enjoyed the game. I thought it was interesting. And mechanically, there's some interesting things going on there. But just like thematically and even a little bit on the production side, but mostly thematically, like certain parts of the game made me uncomfortable. And I understand what they're going for with how they included things like the slavery and the way the colonialism is portrayed. But I don't enjoy playing games like that anymore. It just didn't sit well with me. And so the next time I hit the table, even though the first play, like mechanically, I was like, this is a clever game and I like the interplay. 
I avoided it and I've avoided it since. And, you know, people give me a little bit of grief, but I feel like it's just, it does not, it's not a game that makes me feel engaged. And I certainly don't have fun playing it. I feel slightly uncomfortable playing it. And so that's a game I'm going to avoid. Yeah. I would, I would say I had the same feeling with it as well. I, I, I kind of like, what am I playing? Oh no. And then they, they kickstarted the new yeah. version. They were like, Oh no, 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 it's okay. We addressed it. The fact that there's slavery in the game. And I'm like, well, that still doesn't really make a lot, a lot of sense, but you know what? You said you addressed it in a mature way and you're showing the negativity of it and it's going to be okay. And then I played it one more time and I was like, you know what? This game's fine. You know, mechanically, as you mentioned, there's nothing terribly wrong to the game, but it's never been something that I ever wanted to go back to anyway. And now that I played the new edition, I'm fine with just letting it go. All right, well, a game I want to talk about that I enjoyed quite a bit when I got a chance to play it, but I really feel like it's kind of, you know, seeing its spotlight, so to speak, and that's Vanuatu. Now, this is a game that's beautiful production, and you're, you know, you're dealing with all these different islands, and you're collecting treasures, and you're, you know, building up these resorts out there, and what's really interesting and engaging about this game is that the selection of the special powers in the beginning really do determine your strategy for that round and if you do not play with the full player count your game is rather easy you can go to your own section of the water not really have to kind of cross paths with everybody and you're playing a solo game in a very euro type of way and generally that seems okay but the thing is the game is not supposed to be that so if you play at the full player count Then there's a lot of screwage. Then there is a situation where you could take certain actions and kind of block people out, and then they don't get to take a turn or not as many turns as they could. And that's supposed to be fun. And it's just such a weird and wonky game where it could be based upon the player count or the situation. You're all by yourself. You're feeling no interaction, and there's just not much to the game. Or you're feeling over-interaction, and you're getting blocked out of spots, and you're like, well, that's not really fun either. So on both counts, what is a very beautiful game and a game I do really enjoy is just a game I don't really need to play anymore. That's Vanuatu. Yeah, it's crazy how there's no scaling for player count on this game at all. And that's the reason I got rid of it, honestly. (laughs) Like, there's no perfect count. That's true. All right, so for me, the next one is First Martians. This was the very much Ballyhooed game from... Ignacy Trevichek, the follow-up to Robinson Crusoe, like cashing in on the Mars theme. And I'll be honest, like I pre-ordered this directly from Portal Games. I was excited. I did an unboxing video that I put on our channel. I was that excited for this game. I never do that. So uh, that's how I was with this game. Uh, Jason and I even did like a live play of the game on YouTube. But the problem with it is, I mean, forgetting the rules issues, which I think people blow overblow to a relatively high degree. The game is actually very good. Mechanically, it's very sound. There's a lot going on with it. And the reason I love this and the reason it still gets like an 8.5 from me, like on my list and it's in my top 100, is that the campaign is spectacularly fun. It's really good. It's well written. It flows very smoothly. There's a lot of like buildup and engagement throughout those five games. And there's like additional games beyond that in the second half of that campaign. The problem is once you finish that, there's not a whole lot of game left to play. Like just a standard game of First Martians 
doesn't do a lot. It's not like Robinson Crusoe where each scenario has like unique mechanics and you can run through them and you just, you know, try to beat it the best you can. And there's a different like win condition. This is like the campaign is a campaign. You play the campaign and once you've played it, you don't really want to go back to it because it's done, right? But the game's not really designed to do that. And I feel like originally they probably had more content in mind and it bombed a little bit. And so they abandoned the game. And for that reason, I'm probably never going to play this again, even though I absolutely loved the time I spent with it because revisiting like just the basic core game of it is not as interesting. It's not as fun. The app alone doesn't really do enough to make it interesting and fun. And at this point, two years out, I'd have to reread the rules and I don't want to do that. So <laughs> First Martians kind of, it's sitting there. I'm staring at it. I probably should pass it on to somebody, but it's still one of my favorite games. And uh, alas, it will probably ne- never get new content. I picked this up at a very, very cheap price just because, as you mentioned, the Mars theming. And it was a game that I really went back and forth when the pre-order was out there. And I had my hand on the on the on the trigger there, so to speak. And I was going to back it, and just felt that so much of this game, because it was very much a solo game, was something that I wasn't going to get to the table, so to speak. So, ah, you know, I went back and forth on this a lot, and picked it up just now because, as you mentioned, there is a lot of good to this game. I don't know if this will ever get to the table. Because, you know, it's so much maligned now at this point and almost given away. And it's kind of a shame because there's clearly a lot of good work that's put into it. All right. So a game that also got a reprint and something that I was really interested in was Container. Now, Container had multiple reprints, but most recently had a huge Kickstarter super upgrade. And it had it was this Grail game that everyone used to talk about. Oh, my God, it's so heavy and so dynamic. And I played it. And I really enjoyed it. It was all about being able to produce goods, to get out to the trucks, to get down to the shipyards, to get shipped out. And based upon your value card, you were going to score, you know, X number of dollars, so to speak. And you were trying to get the most of certain things and not of other things. And it was really fine. And the production was pretty fantastic. And I enjoyed it a lot. But in the end... For the production value, and especially for the cost of the game, it was just something that had its moment in the sun. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And honestly, I don't really need to get that game back to the table, despite how good it is. It's just another auction game that just takes a little bit longer and does also have a player count issue. So that's Container in all of its many versions. Yeah, I've always wanted to try this, and I'm still waiting for somebody I know to have a copy and bring it out for us to play, because everything I've heard is like, ah, it's really expensive. (laughs) Okay, And it looks amazing, but I I just couldn't invest in a game like that. So for me, the the next one on the list is Through the Ages, A New Story of Civilization. And I, I will say up front, I love this game. It's fantastic. Civilization games are among my favorite genre, and this is up there as one of the best. But... There are two reasons I will not play this, uh, probably again. The first is that the board game or card game, whatever you want to call it, is exceptionally long, decently convoluted to teach, and probably a bit bloated at like the full player count. It's, you know, you're looking at several hours to play through this. It's difficult to like refresh on the rules. 
you know, it's it's a Vlada game. But the second reason, and the real reason, I'll probably never play this again, uh, is because there's an app that is the best board game app, period, on the market. And if you're going to play through the ages, just play the app, right? <laughs> so, And it's, it's a funny thing that they've done here. And I, I'm sure they're making more money off the app than they would have just selling more board games because it's a big, expensive board game. I don't know how many of those they sell. But I've played through the app several times, and it takes by myself playing against the CPU 45 minutes to an hour. So you can imagine how long it would take to play the actual board game. I've had this on my shelf for a while. I'm actually considering removing it from my shelf just because the app, which I also have on an iPad as well as my Mac, is good enough that I don't need the game anymore. And there is no other game I own that has that situation. So big endorsement for the app is, is what I'm saying. Through the Ages is a fantastic game, but, you know, try it out on the computer first. Yeah, I think the real problem with this game, other than the fact that the setup is insane, is the length of time. Obviously, if you can get a full player count on this, you're going to have a different experience. But the app, as you mentioned, <laughs> they almost did themselves a disservice making the app so good. The expansion's still coming out, so I'm going to hold on to the game and see what that has to do going forward. Yeah, I can clearly see why this would be an issue, especially when there's so many Civilization games out there that play much, much quicker. Now, talking about a game that plays much, much quicker, there is a version in some universe that you could actually get this game played in a normal amount of time. Unfortunately, we do not live in that realm. So when we get to play a Game of Thrones, the board game second edition, and especially second edition with its recent update and a very good update. It's the dragon expansion there. You know, it's again, one of those games that if you are the biggest fan of the show, there is no amount of length of gameplay that you're just going to balk at. You're just going to sit down and enjoy the game. But as big of a fan as I am a game of Thrones, I have played this game many, many times and I've generally enjoyed it a good deal. But once again, the player count thing tends to be a big issue. And the fact that you're counting on your fellow players to manage other players, so to speak, is a big issue. And, you know, there are just a lot of mechanics that are a little too long in the tooth and just really needs to be revised from the very beginning. If somebody could take a uh, TI4 version to this and completely revise it from scratch. It might be a very good game. It might be very playable. But for now, Game of Thrones, the board game, second edition, I am out. That's funny. Like, I saw you put this on the list, and, like, my group is currently trying to plan yes. a game of this because several of us own it. Most of us have never played it, and we're just like, yes, let's do it. And we know all the bad things that come with it and all that, you know, like, it ends friendships, and it's long, and some of these things are broken. And like, don't care. We want to do it. We're doing it. So, um might be on my list next my time. game we'll group was recently talking about getting into the table and they just want to get to the table because they've never really gotten it to the table and i've gotten it to the table and i'm just like ah if only i can warn you where you're going i cannot follow <laughs> <laughs> i just i just can't no i can't it's not the length of time man you know me i will play a long game that is not the problem here so all right, what do you got? All up? right, so uh, next up for me is a game experience of sorts that was kind of hot for a little while, and it came out right around the time of Pandemic Legacy. So 
I won't say it fell under the radar because people are aware of it, but it didn't get quite as much of the boost that you might have expected because it was somewhat innovative. That's Time Stories. So this is more of a game system. Like the box itself comes with a campaign that you can run through. It takes about three hours. But then modules were released every two to three months by Asmodee that included all sorts of stuff like going back in time to the 80s or the 1600s or to some fantasy world or just all these different things that you might do to try to uncover pieces of a much larger story. And it sounds amazing. And it is to some degree, like the way they've produced this, the way it works, there's no app involved, which is fantastic because that's a lot of games would have relied on that at this point. The the mysteries, the puzzles, it's all very solid. The reason I won't play this game anymore is one, I didn't play for a long enough period of time that I don't really remember the story. And it's one of those games where you just kind of have to keep going with it. And if you don't have the group for it, if you don't have the time for it, if you don't have the investment for it, things kind of fall off. It doesn't really work solo. It, I know, Jason, I'm sorry, man. I know you think it does. It really doesn't. I've tried it just to catch up. It doesn't really work. It's not as much fun. You're not going to solve those things. You're just going to brute force your way through the game. It has a lot of conditions to it, right? And I think that's a common theme with a lot of these games for them to be good is they have a lot of conditions and situations in which they are good. And the first two, three times I played Time Stories, those conditions were there and it was fantastic and I loved it and it was such an amazing experience. And several times since it just hasn't been there and it's been difficult to just get re-engaged, to remember what's going on, to connect the dots between different campaigns and different stories and finish things through. So I think the barrier to entry on Time Stories is the reason I'll never play it again. I've just been out so long that I'm never going back, despite the fact that I really, really enjoyed it. It was a fantastic experience. I'm really glad I had it and I'm really glad I had a chance to play it, but it's not going to happen again. You know, Time Stories for me has been really an interesting journey. I remember talking about this game way before it even came out there was a lot of news about it a lot of buzz about it there was a lot of intrigue and controversy about it the fact that you played the game and then it was done and you really couldn't go back to the game because you knew exactly what was going to happen and what to do so this one and done kind of situation way back in the day was something that people were very uncomfortable with and the game came out everyone expected it to bomb and it did fantastic and it had multiple I don't know if you would call them expansions, so to speak, but multiple game versions of the the base game. I was able to pick this up, not at a massive discount, just a minor discount. The thought that I would actually get this thing to the table, maybe play with family. It never happened. It's still shrink wrapped. And I'm kind of disappointed about that. I'm still not sure if I should pass this game on and just count my losses, so to speak, or if I should actually make more of an effort to get this game to the table. Now, for me, the uh, game that really had a lot of promise and a lot of endless number of expansions was Cosmic Encounter. Now, Cosmic Encounter is a classic game. I don't know what edition's on currently, eight or nine or so. And many, many times I've had it in my shopping cart, along with every expansion possible, because I really did enjoy the artwork and the stories that these radically different aliens would tell with their special powers. It was so phenomenally different than any other game that was out there and any other aliens that was out there. And it, it felt like it should be the game, right? It's a, it's a social game. 
that has a lot of social elements to it. So you got the social gamers to play, but there was somewhat, you know, a crunchy, complicated, interesting, engaging game with some great decisions. And yet, depending on the situation, so to speak, you could play the game and it could wrap up in like 15 minutes or so and you never got a turn. And somebody won just because of reasons and the way their alien matched up with some some other kind of situation, so to speak. Or it could drag on forever. Or everyone needs to keep one guy in check and that person gets very annoyed about that, that they can't do the things that their alien should do. So just based upon the fact that what I loved about the game is also what was terrible about the game. Cosmic Encounter, I'm kind of done. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I don't have anything to add to that other than, yep, <laughs> that's a game I did. I feel like if I had the right group or, you know, if it was a particularly late night, I'd be like, sure, let's do it. Because I know it won't last more than 15, 20 minutes, but it's it, it's so much fun at the same time. And it's, it's hard to commit to. Yeah, you know, I hear that a lot on either video or board game shows or publishers or designers kind of defending games and saying, with the right group. Yeah. Who is this right group? Where are they? Because I have so many games that clearly I'm supposed to be playing with you. I don't know where you are. Could you send me a message so we can game together? Because right group, I want to play with you. Because I play with a lot of other groups who clearly are not you. And it's ruining my board game club. Hopefully those groups aren't listening now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they know who yeah. they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're cool with that. All right, so my last one is, and this is the fifth different type of reason why I might not like play a game that I love anymore, and that's money. Magic the Gathering. Okay. Jeez, money. money. <laughs> it's all about the money. So this was the first what I would consider modern game that I played ever, right? I played this when I was, I don't know, 10 years old. And I grew up in Seattle area where the game was launched and it was everywhere. I remember when it came out, I was obviously, I think, nine years old, 10 years old at the time. I could not have afforded any of these cards, but I saw these cards. People had them. I borrowed them. We played the game constantly. And I played pretty regularly for, you know, the following five to 10 years. At a certain point, when you are paying for the cards, when your parents aren't helping you out anymore, you're not getting gifts, people aren't trading with you. And when the market catches up and realizes, hey, this card is really good. Now it costs this much money. And you're like, well, I can never afford that. And your friends who have much wealthier parents can't afford it, buy the card and destroy you repeatedly. The game takes on a different flavor, let's say. So Magic the Gathering is a really solid game. Mechanically, it's very good. The cards are very solid. The Wizards of the Coast has done a good job for decades keeping the game balanced and interesting. But it's just impossible to get into now unless you really want to commit. You can't just go buy you know, a few cards and dive into it. They do have pre-made decks if you find somebody else who just wants to play that with you. But how long does that last, right? There's a reason I got really into Keyforge this year because it gave me the feeling that Magic the Gathering did in terms of like just solving the deck and figuring out the best way to play it and maneuvering these different cards without having to invest thousands of dollars <laughs> into booster packs to get there. So Magic the Gathering... It's one of my top ranked games because I still think it's fantastic. And if I ever do happen to play a game, I will presumably have fun with it. But I will never seek it out again because I cannot afford it. And I certainly don't want to enter into the 
quasi toxic situations that a lot of the areas in which people play this game happen to be. So Magic the Gathering, not so much. Well, and for me is a game that not only do I love, but I'm sure everyone loves it out there. It's Zulkin, the Mayan calendar. Now, this is a fantastic classic grail game for so many people. And it really is one of the kind of quintessential, you know, worker placement games or worker displacement games. And, you know, the great thing about Zulkin is that its production is so unique. Its theming is fantastic. The displacement of workers at the particular time are phenomenal. And yet when you play the base game, it comes down to typically four strategies or maybe even three strategies, so to speak. But it comes down to a situation where it's almost like chess-like that you're going to play the corn strategy or the skull strategy. And that's what you're going to do. Oh, someone got to that strategy. I got to do the other strategy. Oh, I didn't get to do that strategy. It's too late. Oh, I lost. And now I'm playing the game for another an hour and a half. So just because the game is in some respects, so either mathematically solvable as far as the strategies that you employ, it just kind of has ruined the experience for me. I do love this game, but I don't want to have to come to a game night and go, well, this is the strategy I'm employing. I just don't want to do that. If I want to do that, I'll play chess. When I play a game, I want to enjoy the game for what it is and what it can do and all the options and the interesting choices and not following a rote strategy. So, for me, the game that I love the most that I will not play again anytime soon, if ever again, is Zoken the Mind Calendar. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, the base game, I've played it enough now that it's just not a whole lot of fun. The expansion definitely mixes things up because it, it's just enough variability that you don't know what's going to happen. Because I just love the mechanics. I love the, how the game flows. But when you can kind of solve for X in any board game, it becomes much less fun instantly. So I understand that one. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.